Hello and welcome to the Coaches View podcast, a podcast hosted by professional football coaches and analysts. For those of you who love to look at the game in microscopic detail, I'm one half of the team, Harry Brooks, and I'm joined once again by the amazing Richard Webster. Hello, Richard. Hi, mate. The amazing Richard Webster. I like that. I'll take that all day long. Thanks, buddy. Well, it, was, it was Welsh Wizard the day, week before. It was uh, something about you know you being an amazing striker the week before that. So I thought I thought I'd just call you amazing this week. If you if you're hoping for something back, it's it's not coming. So <laughs> well, I was going to say maybe there should be a time when you actually introduce yourself, so I actually get the compliments from now and again. I think that should be something we should consider. I'll keep let's keep it like it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, how have you been? Yeah, very well, mate. Very well. Really glad to be back uh, back on the field, coaching more regularly, which is great. Um, yeah, just I know excited. I, I asked you. I literally dropped you at your house half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's I, I'm sure I'm the same as you, mate. Excited to see our academy back in action. A lot of our yes. academy players we work with are back in action as well. Um, people are chomping at the bit. A lot of the young players are going back into their academies shortly, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, yep. Things are starting to open it up a bit more, and obviously there's a lot more football. Um, uh, Premier League football and, and other uh, European leagues being played at the moment. So it's actually quite exciting times. Yeah, and there are lots to talk about. And as you said, brilliant the academy's back. Brilliant that we're coaching uh, players, you know, that are already at academies and professional clubs as well. Um, you know, really enjoying uh, getting back to coaching. Um, before we start the show, I think it's only apt that we wish happy birthday to arguably the greatest footballer of all time, uh, Lionel Messi. <laughs> Um, I don't think there's much we need to say about you know who he is and what he does, obviously. But um, I think it's uh, we're both in agreement that we just want to enjoy him for as long as we can, don't we? Yeah, I think it's going to be a real shame. I think it's a, it, it's a real shame when he's going to have to hang up his boots at some stage. I think that's going to be a sad day for football. But, you know, football moves on. We've had some fantastic players over the years, obviously. Um, even just at Barcelona, there's been some fantastic players. So football will move on. But, yeah, I, I think every football fan should enjoy him for as long as he's around because he's a phenomenal talent and he's he's won. I think we're spoiled in a way, but how phenomenal he is year after year and the, yeah. the standard that he sets, the, the level of consistency um, is just remarkable. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's long may it continue. Um, hopefully he just gets better and better like a fine wine. Um, and I think he's got yeah. a few good years ahead of him yet. Yeah. I actually went on Bleach Report um, a while ago and uh, they, the chaps asked me a question, obviously, knowing I was a coach that works with professionals. What what would I do if I uh, trained Lionel Messi for a session? And uh, I wasn't too sure what to say. I think with Lionel Messi, you probably don't coach him in a one-to-one. You're more put on the session and just watch him go and, and admire from a distance. I'm pretty sure he has his guys who know, who know him very well and I, I don't think he's somebody you can... You can tell him what to do. I think he's he's found what works for him. Yeah, and, he's, uh, he's quite well set, isn't he? And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't. Think although he he's stuck to... on he's stuck on six hundred ninety nine goals, so maybe he just needs a little edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he must do better in, in the report card. Yeah, do some finishing, maybe on his right foot. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of Lionel Messi, I suppose it kind of interludes into what we're going to discuss today, and. Yep. We're going to discuss something that um, is obviously very prevalent to myself and you and what we do, and it is a pathway for players. So obviously, Lionel Messi, he has uh, been a one-club man for his whole career, and it's obviously worked out phenomenally well for him. But we're going to discuss in, on today's podcast about you know the pathway for players and you know whether it works out if players should stay at their club or other examples where that maybe hasn't worked, and vice versa, examples where it's worked where players leave to join other clubs, perhaps go abroad. And of course, maybe examples where that hasn't worked. Um, obviously, Richard, me and you, we train young academy players. We train young pros. We also help them with potential moves if we think it's the right time. And um, I guess that the, the way to start this is that every situation is different. Um, but obviously, it's a conversation that's very prevalent nonetheless um, with academy players and young professionals. And um, I guess to start off with, I guess we should probably look at a few examples, shouldn't we, of players that have perhaps stayed at their club and has made it work for them. Yeah, for me, it's a really interesting subject. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about the games that have happened as well. So that there's been obviously a full round of fixtures in the last couple of days in the Premier League. So we'll go over those shortly. But we just thought it'd be really interesting to to have a bit of a subject, um, which, like Harry says, is is uh, quite prevalent at the moment. With you know, there's a lot of talk about young players moving to different territories and, and, and players are being bought at, at younger and younger ages. 
So um, there's been some high-profile examples. Obviously, the, the biggest one at the moment on these shows, people always talk about Jaden Sancho and the success that he's had at Dortmund. And will he now move on to the Premier League or what have you? Uh, Erling Haaland is obviously another sh- a bright light that is shining very uh, very brightly at the moment um, as a young player who's jumped ship. So I guess that I guess what we're trying to explore or trying to discuss is is there um, is there a pathway or is there is there a template that you can work to or, or really which approach would work best? So are you better off sticking um, and trying to fight it out in your hometown club or the, the club where you've been developing? Um, or do, do you make that jump um, to try and develop or try and get into the first team in a different, in a different league? So I think there's tons of examples we go through, um, but I think it's, it's quite an interesting subject that a lot of young people, uh, young players are, are interested in because they, they're coming across the same uh, conundrum right now of whether to stay in their club, whether to, to perhaps uh, move elsewhere and, and look for other pathways to development and first team football. Yeah, and there's no right answer, is there? As you said, it's 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 very situational based. Um, every player is different, and every player will have a different journey. Um, and there's no one right or wrong way to do it. But let's start off by exploring maybe a few uh, players that have maybe made it work by sticking, um, or maybe looking like they might have made the right decision to stick. And at the moment, someone that's very hot in the headlines is Phil Foden. Um, there was a lot of chat, yeah. obviously, about whether it would be right for him to move. And to be honest, for me, it's still very early days whether he should consider moving. I guess this summer transfer window will be, for me, the biggest one in Phil Foden's young career because obviously David Silva's leaving at the end of the season. He's the one that's arguably taken most of Foden's minutes. Um, if David Silva leaves and Man City and Pep Guardiola don't sign a replacement and give their trust to Phil Foden, who I believe... Um, fully deserves to be a regular for a team looking to challenge for the big titles. He's that good. Um, if they don't sign someone, then I guess you could say that Phil Foden has made the right decision to stay. But if they do sign someone, I guess you're in a similar situation as we have been with lots of other youngsters that don't perhaps get the minutes they deserve. Yeah, with Phil Foden, it's a really tricky one because obviously, like you've just said there, he's got the talent to play at the very, very highest level. And he is playing at the highest level. So he's getting minutes, he's getting chances at Manchester City. Um, but my my mind has been flipping and flopping back and forth with Phil Foden. Like sort of last season, or let's say earlier this season, I would have been of the of the viewpoint that uh, he should have gone because he would have had X amount of games under his belt by now. He would have certainly played um, at a high level um, consistently, I believe, if he'd have jumped ship. But uh, he might reap the benefits of actually being a little bit more patient and biding his time and uh, having the trust and faith that he will get. Um, he will get his chance because all of the noise is coming out very recently from from Guardiola is that uh, they won't replace David Silva because they have a replacement already in Phil Foden. So it's like you say, that remains to be seen. The big question mark will be this summer because they're going to finish a long way behind Liverpool. Um, that's not going to be acceptable. They're not going to put up with it. So do they? <laughs> now it'll be a real real test of their nerve. A real test of their faith in in a young player in Phil Foden. Do they really stick with him and say you're the man, you're the direct replacement for David Silva, or do they uh, do they sort of twist and uh, and go into the market? It's going to be really interesting. Obviously, if they go into the market, I think that would be a big blow for Phil Foden because um, I'm I'm of the same opinion. He should be played week in week out uh, for the for the very best teams. He's he's that good. So it remains to be seen, but he's an example. He'd be a, a really good example. Hopefully that does happen. They do put their trust in him. Um, he would be a great example of uh, player sticking and, um, and getting the rewards. Yeah, and what I would also say about Phil Foden and perhaps the rest of the Man City uh, Academy and kind of what they're, the pathway they set for the players is that, you know, Phil Foden is the, he is the ultimate of what a Man City Academy would hope to produce in terms of style of footballer and quality. He is exactly what that academy would hope to produce for the first team. So if Phil Foden doesn't get into that first team, it doesn't necessarily bode well for other academy players to make a real breakthrough into the Man City team, which is hard, which is of course understandable. You know, Man City are in the Premier League, obviously, and the richest club in the Premier League, arguably. And so they have certain requirements where they can go and buy these the the, the fifty million pounds and sixty million pounds plus players to fill the holes. You know, they they're not a club that would like to rely on academy's talents, but the point remains, if Phil Foden doesn't make it a Man City, what does that say for the rest of the academy talent at the club currently? 
Yeah, it's difficult. And this is what we've spoken about in the past. About We did a podcast recently about the Bundesliga being the best place for up-and-coming talent. I firmly believe that it is. So I think one of the issues, one of the, the major issues, which you've just touched on there, is the different setup that we've got in this country where we've got the under-23 football, um, which just doesn't prepare football as well enough, uh, young footballers, to make the jump from under-18s to first-team football. So... Uh, the advantage that they've got in different countries, uh, let's take the Bundesliga, for example, is that teams have a second team. So Bayern Munich 2, Dortmund 2, um, and they can play in the German third league. They're not allowed to get promoted, but they can play in the German third league. Um, this allows players to develop in a more realistic fashion, I believe, um, and bridge the gap between uh, academy football, which is still youth football, into yeah. men's football where it really matters and i think that's one of the issues that, that clubs have especially in this country is uh is finding a way to bridge that gap but it's interesting what you say about um uh if, if a player as talented as phil foden even can't guarantee a starting spot and what does it say about others so yeah it, it, well, it's, not, it's not even a talent but it's also how he is he fits the exact profile of what a Man City Academy would like to produce, oh, yeah, wouldn't they? I mean, like the, for their for their system, he's he's a perfect fit. You can see he's been he's been molded in in the Man City way, which is terrific. But Barcelona have done this for many years as well, um, and you'll have real successes while doing that, and then and then you'll have some misses as well. So obviously they had a golden generation of of top midfielders coming through at at uh, Barcelona, sorry, um, and who were well versed in you know the the way of La Masia. And, the training and the system and uh, now at this moment probably have like dearth of talent uh, that's coming through. I think that's natural. Um, but yeah, Phil Foden certainly fits he's everything Man City would hope to produce from their academy. Which is a conversation we'll come on to um about the maybe their narrow approach to um to to academy training. But I think it leads us on quite nicely as well. So it is a, a, a potential success story there. Um, but then, you know, there's, there's plenty of examples of, well, of, of players who've left and found great success. And that's happening more and more. So if we want to touch on a, on a couple of those examples, Harry, if you want to kick us off. Well, I guess the first place is that would be the obvious one. And that's Jaden Sancho. He was part of the Man City Academy. Yep. He left and he's been playing high-level first-team football for a couple of years now. And it looks like he's going to make arguably um, a hundred million pounds plus move back to England this summer. So he's basically gone out, played first team football from a young age, got his badges and come back um, or potentially will come back. And even if he doesn't come back, he's still playing for one of the biggest clubs in Europe. Um, and I would say that, you know, if you look, if you try to weigh up the, the, the two in terms of staying in England or leaving, I think you're going to find more examples or there will be more success stories for individuals where they go out and leave and play. And, we speak to clubs all the time and what we're now finding is that even academy staff, so for example, we were going to play a fixture, the, the academy um, versus a Premier League under 23 side. And they specifically told us, didn't they, that we were looking for players that were young, of course, for the academy under 23 team, but had already played men's first team football at non-league level. And I yeah. think that you are now in a situation where, whether it's to a an elite club in Europe like Borussia Dortmund and Jaden Sancho, or perhaps you are going down the divisions, a couple of divisions or whatever in another country or even in leagues or whatever. Playing first team football at a young age is better generally than sticking around in the academy setup where, as you said earlier, you are playing a style of football that isn't realistic to first team football. Of course not. So um, I think that if we look at more examples, Jaden Sancho is just one. Well, it's, it's huge. Obviously, Sancho's the, the big one that people talk about. But, you know, Jonathan Panza was in the same uh, the same World yeah. Cup team as uh, Sancho, and he made the, the jump over to Monaco. Um, uh, Keenan Bennett at uh, Mönchengladbach. You've got... Um, Marcus uh, Edwards was in that World Cup winning team. Yeah, fantastic. He's, and I think he's, it, he's, I, left, he's left to join Vitoria in Portugal. He's got seven goals, seven assists this season. And I think it'd actually be a great replacement for Jaden Sancho at Borussia Dortmund. But for a player such as Marcus Edwards as well, I think that's a that's a brilliant move because this is a really skillful player, very um, you know, you know, a very um, not physically imposing player, let's say. Um, so the, the struggle might have been making that gap physically from under twenty three football into first team football. English football might have been at that time too intense, too fast, too powerful for him to develop in the way that he can because he's a terrific talent. There's no doubt about it. He could be playing at the top level. 
Um, but how does he make those stepping stones while he's still developing? So he's taking the decision to go abroad and he's doing very well doing that. And there's another Tottenham lad, um, the, the lad who joined PSV, Noni Madweke. Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, another good move for him. Uh, only 18 years old, already played, I think, four or five games in the PSV first team. Would he have played four or five games for Tottenham by now? I don't think there's a there's, there's not a chance he would have played four or five games for Tottenham by now. Uh, but he's played he's played four or five games in the in the top league in the Eredivisie. So he's already ahead of the curve of some people uh, in the same crop of players who maybe would have stayed or maybe wouldn't have been brave enough to take that jump. So there's a ton of examples. Reese Nelson uh, went over to Germany and came back, and now he's in the first team setup at Arsenal. So good move for him. And I think there's going to be, I think we're going to see more. Rabi Matondo with Schalke. I think that's a brilliant move for him. Brilliant move for Schalke. Uh, the young striker, Noah Ohio, um, who went over to, did he, which club did he join? Harry, remind me. Bobby Logic. Yeah, brilliant move. Um, and another, I, I think that's exactly what that particular player needed for, for his development. I mean, I could be wrong, uh, but for me, the, I tend to see a pattern. And I think, um, I think there is there is uh, evidence to suggest that at this time, at this stage of their career, when they're you know seventeen, eighteen, really hitting their stride, um, but struggling to make the the leap uh, into the first team setup because it is so competitive, the top end of the Premier League. Um, then a move abroad, I think, a fantastic step for development, especially as we're seeing um, sort of the Premier League really start to stride away from the other leagues in Europe, in my opinion. Um, uh, uh, like we said, we spoke about this previously. Uh, the Bundesliga has been won eight times in a row by Bayern Munich. So, even if you're playing for a team as big as Borussia Dortmund, there really isn't the same level of intensity or pressure as there is even at a club like Chelsea. So, you know, Dortmund comes second almost every year. Uh, so there just isn't that level of intensity or pressure to perform that you would get if you stuck around at Manchester City or Manchester United. Um, and that's an indictment. That's a sad indictment of the league, unfortunately. And but, you know what? You've just picked on two great clubs. You've just mentioned them. A player that made his debut for Bayern Munich the other weekend, um, Jamal Musiala, 17 years, yeah. I think he's 17 years old. He might be the youngest Bundesliga player ever. But he left Chelsea to go to Germany. And he's left Chelsea to join arguably a, a bigger club in the grand scheme of things. But as you said, he's joined a club where, of course, it's a bit unfair to say because obviously Musiala got his chance in the first team after Bayern Munich had already won the league pretty much, had already won the league. So it's a bit unfair to give that example. But nonetheless, there is not a chance he would have made his debut for Chelsea for, or even if he had made his debut, he wouldn't have been a first team regular um, for certainly not this age anyway. And whether he goes on to become a first-team regular at Bayern Munich, I don't think that will be the case yet. But when you alluded to it earlier um, about the the big teams or certain teams having their second teams um, in lower-down divisions, Musiala's played for Bayern Munich too. Mm. And he's playing a competitive style of football from a young age. So he's learning how to play a realistic brand of football. So let's say that Musiala doesn't go and become a regular for Bayern Munich. Well, OK, he's had the education to play first-team football from a young age Clubs and players will know he can cope with that first-team football. So he's all of a sudden a far more attractive proposition for a first-team transfer than perhaps another extremely talented player, but has never played a step foot on a men's pitch. Yeah, I think, look, to start with, yeah, I agree. I think uh, that's actually a step up. I think uh, Bayern Munich are a bigger club than Chelsea. I think Chelsea fans might be upset by that, but I think that's the way that is. Make a very good point about him going and playing in um, uh, Bayern Munich too. Uh, I think that's a great, a great stepping stone. That means he's playing in, in Bundesliga three. So that's against teams like Kaiserslautern, eighteen sixty Munich, uh, Hansa Rostock. Big side, he's, big, big sides, he's a, big crowds. <laughs> he's a big clubs with big histories, and and the games matter. Um, Ingolstadt, they they they're not a, a too many years away from playing in the uh, in the Bundesliga a few years back. So. <sighs> This this can only do a player well. This can only stand him in good stead, in my opinion. Um, and I think that's one of the problems that we have uh, we have in this country is the the under twenty three setup and not preparing players in in the best possible way. And I actually think it's nice, it's great to see that, that you've got these young players who are willing to move abroad. And then there's something to be said for the um, 
for the personal side of it as well, about the bravery that it takes to to move to another country to follow your career or follow your dreams. Um, I, I think well, that's... Someone, you said that, Richard. Sorry to drop. Someone asked me the other day or said to me the other day when I was praising Marcus Edwards, they said to me, oh, yeah, but he's got massive attitude problems. And I was like, well, first of all, you don't know that. You don't know what goes on at a club. And second of all, you cannot underestimate the mental strength it takes to be a young man to go abroad to a completely different culture, a completely different language, and actually perform to a really high level. Um, that takes a lot of mental strength, doesn't it, as you just said? I think so, yeah. And and, and to go and follow your dream and, and, and go and do that one, I think a lot of people would have raised their eyebrows that he, that he made that move. And for some of the other players making their moves. But at the end of the day, it's their career and they've got to try and make it work. And it is a brave thing to do. So how many other young people aged 17 or 18 would say, oh, I'm off to Germany for two years. And while I'm there, I'm going to deliver <laughs> to such a high level that I'm going to be, I, I'm going to come back or I'm going to make a name for myself in a, in a really competitive field. It's, it's not that easy. Um, so, and I, I think a move like that can, can really uh, set a person up. It can teach a lot. Of, it can teach people a lot about themselves. It can help a young person to mature um and to develop off the off the field as well as on the field 100 percent. but this is where we have to be careful because myself and you obviously work with young players all the time and are helping young players with potential next moves and where you see these success stories from the media from fans there is a lot more talk nowadays about how young players should jump ship and go abroad straight away or go elsewhere straight away and People have to understand it is a big, big thing for a young person. And it's also okay if a young person doesn't feel ready for that. They don't feel comfortable with that because it's a huge, huge move. And oh, a million percent. It's not a, uh, it's not a one size fits all solution. This is not, we're not saying, oh, this, this way works over the other way. So just, just as Jonathan Paso decided that for him, the best move was to do that. Um, you've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek uh, who decided to stay. Um, you've got there's plenty of other examples so he was you know highly sought after i think schalke were looking for for loftus cheek back in the day and obviously bigger clubs have come in since then as well um callum hudson adoy was another player who'd been um courted by some big european teams they've opted to stay and and fight for their place and that's not wrong either so we're simply trying to discuss which uh which approach has the or what are the benefits of staying what are the benefits of perhaps jumping ship? I think football has changed very recently. I think um, uh, you're, you're seeing now um, more British players, more English players making the step abroad because they've had, they can see a, a couple of people having relative success in doing that. So I think it's it's allowed uh, for clubs to understand that that works. I think I think European clubs are more open to buying British talent as well, which is quite a new thing. It's quite a new phenomenon in, in, the, in the you know in the scale of things. Uh, this hasn't been going on for for a long, long time, uh, and I think that's partly because uh, in the UK we've caught up technically to a certain degree. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think that's I think the fact that the English talent or British talent is desired by clubs abroad nowadays um, is a, a glowing sort of reference to uh, the academy system in this country. It says it, it says in, on the one hand it says that it works. Because yeah. um, Spanish clubs and German clubs and Dutch clubs wouldn't have thought about um, uh, coming in and, and signing uh, talented young English players because historically they were seen as athletic, strong, they play with the English style, but they don't have any guile, they don't have any creative skills, um, they can't put their foot on the ball, they're not technically, you know, the, the, the Dutch and the Germans and the Spanish had uh, technically stronger players, so why would they shop in our market for that? Um, but now I think that's shifted. Uh, so I think I think that's a huge, um, a huge point in the plus column for uh, UK academies. That the minor is the other reason that they're leaving is because they're not getting the realistic, um, realistic bridge between uh, academy football and first team football because the under twenty three setup is it, it's it's just not adequate. Yeah, well, I think it's important. Now we've spoken about a few specific player examples. We should probably speak about. Um, and obviously, it's, it's an area we do have a lot of uh, knowledge in um, about the academy system itself in certain clubs. So we kind of alluded to it earlier. But let's, if we take Man City for an example, and perhaps where look at the reasons why certain players might struggle to get a career based on academy football in the UK. Um, if we look at Man City, for example, each academy age group plays 
a mirror image of how the first team play, or that's the idea. It's very possession based. It's very um, positional based. Players have their zones, and they have to play a certain style of football, which is fine. But unless you play for Man City first team, which, as we know, is incredibly unlikely, have you got enough knowledge and playing other styles of football to go and make a career elsewhere? So let's say, for example, you are a Man City number eight. You are required to do certain things. You're going to have possession for perhaps 70% of the game. You're going to be able to pass and receive at angles um, and, you know, keep the game flowing over. Basically, a Man City 10. Now, let's say you don't make it a Man City. They play a style of football that 99.9% of other teams in the UK don't play. So let's say you do get released from Man City, which is more than likely going to happen, as we said, and probably not going to play for the Man City first team, no matter how good you are. Now you're going to other clubs on trials. Let's say anything from Barnet, Wimbledon, up to, let's say, I don't know, Southampton. They're now asking very different questions, aren't they? They're asking very different questions of their midfielder. They're asking, can you now pass it 60 yards? Can you run up and down the pitch? Can you compete in 1v1 duels on and off the ball? Can you tackle? Can you retrieve the ball? And all of a sudden, you've got this player that hasn't been versed or coached to play in that style of football. Yeah. And they're going this to stop. This is a subject I'm, 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 I'm very much with you on this about uh, about this one, mate. I think um, it's not just Manchester City. I think it's it's academies across the board. Or, or certain academies, anyway. I think um, I think you're spot on. And um, for me, it, it, obviously, it's different. They, they they can look at the academy however they want. It's their academy, so their remit is to try and get players into the first team. That would be the argument there. I do think, though, for me, I prefer an academy that produces footballers for all level of the game. So the likelihood of players at any Premier League academy making it into that Premier League's first team is very 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 low. Um, however, you would like to see players coming out and then having the possibility to, let's say, play for Tottenham up until under-18s and then get a career at Colchester. Now, the culture shock uh, that academy players have when they leave Category 1 clubs, let's say under-18s, Tottenham, Arsenal, West Ham, whatever it might be, Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, um, when they're leaving these clubs and then they're asked to go on loan or they've been released and now all of a sudden they find themselves at a cat two or a cat three so they might find themselves down at ipswich or nottingham forest or whoever it might be stoke whatever whatever club it might be sheffield wednesday um the style of football there and the remit there is very very different because they are also trying to get players into their first team but their first team looks very very different from the first team that they've spent the last x amount of years trying to get into so you might be a tottenham player coming through the academy and trying to play for the tottenham first team and that might not work out for a number of reasons because it's an incredibly competitive field and um, industry that you're trying to break into. So it's much more likely that you won't get into that team than you will get into that team. So then when you leave there, are you able to play in all four uh, professional leagues um, or, or whatever uh, in the game? Or are you well-versed enough to be attractive to a wide range of clubs? And I think that's a danger. Um, especially when you have clubs that play a very, very uh, specific style all the way through their academies. So I think there's actually, I think there are clubs that do it excellently. Um, I think Manchester United, for me, in my experience. fan of how Man United do it, aren't you? Massive. Yeah, massive fan, mate. I think the way that they, the way they run the academy um, is superb. I think their track record of producing players for absolutely every single level of the game, home and abroad, is superb. They still bring players into their own team, which is unbelievable because that's, again, we all speak about this as a heavy shirt. That's not easy to do. Um, so they have a great track record of, of bringing players from the academy into the first team. But then if you go through the leagues, teams are littered with players that have come through the Manchester United Academy at all levels of the game. And for me, that is what an academy should exist for. Yeah, giving players a professional career. Before we move on from Man United, if it's okay, Richard, I want you to just say the story. Um, this was before I joined Round World of a few years ago when you took um, the Round World, I believe it was the under-12s up to play Man United. No, sorry, no, I was around, but I was very ill for that trip, um, so I couldn't go. But you took the the, the Round World under-12s up to Man United. Oh, I, yeah. I, I want you to just tell people about the class of the club, because when we talk about academy football um for me it's not and i know you agree it's not just about 
what goes on the pitch. It's how you conduct yourself as a young man and the and the values of life that these clubs um, can teach you. And and everything I've heard and seen from my own experience, um, but heard as well from yourself, etc., um, that Man United are, again, not just on the pitch, but also the best off the pitch. And if it's OK, I'd like you to just say that story. Um, I don't so, know exactly what I'm was, talking about. It was actually the under-14s, but it's, that, 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 it's, not, it's, not, it's neither here nor there. But anyway, we, we were invited up to play them. We've been invited up a couple of times, so that's been really great. They've been they've been excellent, and we've met them a few times in um, in academy tournaments as well, so that we've had the pleasure of playing against them a, a number of times, which is brilliant. Obviously, in terms of what they produce on the pitch, as you'd expect, it's excellent. They're well-versed. All of the players are well-drilled, uh, well-educated in, in how to play different styles and systems. So it's everything that you would expect. Um, but what, what what struck me was two things, really. The um, the approach of the players and the staff, which was uh, top class from, from the first moment that you arrived, you're welcomed very, very well from everybody, from the tea lady to the security down there to every single member of staff. The players are very humble in their approach and willing to... Um, willing to mingle and and give advice and give tips and and just uh to be around the boys which was fantastic because you know we're not a you know it's not like they're playing Manchester City or Liverpool we're just an independent academy so they you know there's every chance that they could be well who are these lot kind of approach there was none of that at all the coaches the coaches were absolutely top class they had all the time in the world for us in terms of um, helping us with any advice or questions that we had or giving us tips on on training methodology or whatever it might be. So just just the whole approach to how they welcomed us in was, I would say, second to none. And and what you could tell is that this, this was bred through the entire club and down to the players as well. So the players are really, really respectful just because that's what they're around all of the time. Um, while we were there as well, it was re- we were told uh, an interesting story by one of the coaches. He, he had a very nice uh, anecdote for us from his time there. So we lost the game. We put up a good fight. It was a very competitive match. Um, in the end, Manchester United came out on top. Okay, so never mind. Um, after the game, uh, one of the United coaches came over to our players. He thanked them for coming up all the way up from London um, to play the match, uh, commented on how well they had done and, and little bits in the game. And he thought this was good and this was good and, and things like that, a few little details. Then he proceeded to tell a story about um, uh, a time they'd lost. They'd lost heavily, I think it was, to Everton and they'd lost uh, 12-1. And uh, obviously it was an embarrassing loss. You know, it's Cat 1 and playing Cat 1. You shouldn't really be losing by that scoreline, but it happens. It's football. The youth players at the end of the day uh so he'd lost 12-1 and he was a bit embarrassed by this and then years later uh he came across the same everton coach who'd handed out that beating at another tournament and he came over to him and he said oh uh, you, you might not remember me i'm the everton coach we beat your lot 12-1 and he was like oh okay he thought oh here he is he's he's, <laughs> he's turning yeah. the screw now a few years later you know, he's still winding me up about it. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, I'm not, I'm not having a go. I just wanted to say, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, the young lad who scored the one for Manchester United was Marcus Rashford, correct? And the United coach said, yes, actually it was. So he said, so there you go. Who really won the match? And I think for me, that is a fantastic message, um, which shows you all of the best things about academy football. So that Everton coach is spot on. Um, they've won the game 12-1, but Marcus Rashford scored the one for Manchester United, who's gone on to play for the first team and England. So in that regard, who really won the game? Um, so I think that's that's a terrific story, which we really liked. And um, yeah, just just their whole general approach to, to welcoming us and everything that I've seen is that, for me, they're one of the best academies going. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I haven't had, obviously, anywhere near as much dealings with Man United as yourself, but anything I've seen and worked with them on, um, yeah, it's completely the same. There's a certain aura about the club and it's very much um, do things correctly, do things properly with class and grace. And um, I, I think we even saw it during this during this lockdown. There was that letter which was doing the rounds, which oh, was yes, a phenomenal, phenomenal piece. Yeah. yeah, it was. I mean, for those who don't know, Man United sends out a, a letter to... Um, their academy players. I think he might have even been as young as like, say, under 11 or something like that. But on the letter, it just very, very nicely managed, just sort of said, you know, have days off, have days where you're going to go and eat junk food and and watch telly too late. And 
there were just and then the message at the end of it was brilliant, wasn't it? Didn't it say and remember you play for Manchester United? Well done, something like that. Yeah, and I think it was those kind of. It was it was, it was a real hard. Yeah, I think it was brilliant because it's you know everyone's gone through a tough situation with lockdown and a COVID and 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 everyone's had really difficult personal circumstances to deal with in their own way, and I think it was just the club showing the academy players look. Um, it's difficult times. It's tough. We understand that. And there's a tendency for clubs to maybe push players so, so hard. We're always pushing players and pushing players and wanting players to strive and get better and all of this. And sometimes I think as clubs, you need to realize, or as coaches, you need to realize, look, these are young people and there is more to life than football. So I thought it was, I thought it was really, really refreshing to see them put a letter. It was a little bit tongue in cheek, which was great, which just said, look, lads, you've done amazing so far. But for the next couple of weeks or next few days, whatever it was, no training. Make sure you stay up late, play video games, um, you know, go out and play with your family, you know, go for a walk, go for a run, eat sweets, uh, read comics, whatever it might be. Uh, Make jokes. um, And don't forget you're a Manchester United player. So you've done fantastically well anyway, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. yeah, and just just a real touch of class. But back to the subject we were talking about before. I also think their approach overall, their and their um, ability to get players into the first team at all levels of the game, um, for me, that that marks them out as the best academy in the UK. Yeah, agreed. And that is what I was going to say. I think that obviously, whether it's the, the argument isn't is it better to stay or leave, um, to stay or go. Um, as we said, it's completely situational. But generally speaking, to have a career. The best thing for me, and I think you would agree most of the time, is to play first team football at a young age and as high a level as you can, perhaps. But even non-league football, you'll see non-league footballers now that are playing first team football and going on to join Premier League clubs, championship clubs. That's going to happen more and more. But the idea is to play first team football um, as soon as you, well, not as soon as you can, obviously, you know, there, there, are, there are certain age requirements. You know, you don't be a 16 year old and thinking, oh, I've got to get out and go play first team football now necessarily. It doesn't always work like that. But generally speaking, you don't want to be in the academy setup without first-team football by the age of 19 and 20, do you? You want to kind of go out and get the experience of playing with men on the first-team pitch. Um, I, I certainly think you've got it. Yeah, you've got to prove you can handle the physicality and play against men. That's a big thing. You've got to play when it matters. That's a big thing as well. Because we can say we can say under-23 football matters and all of this, but it really doesn't. And the players know that. Um, it's not the same. Uh, it's not even the same as you know National League or Conference South or whatever it might be. It's, it's just not. So they have to get that level of experience. But I think every situation is different. I mean, w- w- there's been some massively high-profile ones. I remember Martin Odegaard bought for huge money by Real Madrid. Originally, people would have thought, oh, he's flopped. He hasn't made it. But look, he's, he's got his head down, had a couple of loan moves, and now he's absolutely flying again. So yeah. who's to say? Did that work? Did that not? I, I don't know. That, that seems like it... It seems like it worked. Well, that's enough. Um, it's important to say that to give it, you know, they're young people as well. Give it time. Just because it hasn't worked immediately doesn't necessarily mean it was the wrong thing to do. Well, perhaps it was the wrong thing to do, but perhaps that wrong decision actually helped give them a career because they took so much learning from that situation. So it was the wrong move for Martin Odegaard to go and join Real Madrid, but perhaps he learned a lot as a young man because of that move and he's gone on to well, it now looks like really establish himself at a top La Liga side, pushing for Champions League football and could maybe go and return for Real Madrid when his loan finishes and even become a first-team player there. So it's also important to to give things time and to appreciate that, you know, if you want to make it in life, especially in football, I suppose, in, you know, any any walk of life, but football, in, football as well, it's not a straight trajectory. It's yeah. not an upward curve no matter what. You're going to have dips and highs and lows and it's how you approach those and how you... Um, adapt from those situations, isn't it? Yeah, I was speaking to a, um, a parent about this today. He's got two young lads at different academies, and I was just making the same point about um, there's not a straight trajectory. It's very, very few players are fortunate enough to go through the academy system from under eight, under nines, and then stay and, and succeed and, and just have a long, a long uh, strain of success and then find themselves in the first team. That just doesn't happen. You're bound to have ups as well as downs. You could be injury, it could be loss of form, loss of confidence, it could be all sorts of things. Um, so yeah, it is completely situational. I think um, it does depend. I think the main thing is you've got to go where you're going to play, like you said, and where you're loved. I think that's another important thing as well, where where you're actually enjoying your time. It might be a clash of styles. It could be that it would it would have uh, you know it, it could be uh. that 
going back to Jaden Sancho, maybe the style uh, wouldn't have fit. Maybe the, he's not the type of uh, wide player that, that would have thrived at Manchester City. Could be something as simple as that. Me personally, I, I do see the Bundesliga as a, as a, a really excellent stepping stone. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but an excellent sort of uh, development area for players to go and, and hone their skills in a less pressurised situation, but still a really, really high quality situation. I see that as a great as a great uh, avenue. But like you say, there'll be, there'll, there's, there's many ways to do it. I mean, two players, or, or myself and, and you are interested in Harry, is, is from the recent uh, Brazil team. Um, the successful under-17 World Cup winning team. So I know you wanted to talk about that quickly. Yeah, well done. Well done for alluding onto that uh, very nicely. Um, yeah, a, a footage has um, emerged today on Twitter. I don't know if it was a goal today. Um, I have asked the Palmeiras coaching staff when this happened. Um, all they said back to me, well, oh, what a great goal. They, they told me the result, but I'm not too sure when it happened. But there's a goal that emerged today of... Um, Gabriel Veron, who I've spoken about quite a few times, and obviously you have as well, Richard. Um, I mentioned him when I went to the Bleacher Report of um, a very special player, a 17-year-old Brazilian forward that is a Palmeiras forward, um, part of the uh, the 17 Brazilian World Cup winning side, a, a fantastic young side. And a goal emerged today of um, when he played against Sao, um, Sao Paulo. Of um, Well, basically, he's wide and the keepers had an absolute mare into no man's land. So it's technically an open goal, but Veron has to do a lot and he's very far out, very wide, and he just does a completely nonchalant outside of the foot um, finish that lobs everyone and lands in the net. It is an exceptional piece of skill. Um, this is a player that is comfortable going inside and outside on both wings, which is very rare to find. He can beat you with manipulation and footwork, ball manipulation and footwork in tight areas, but he can also explode and drive from deep. He can score and create in a variety of ways. Very dynamic, very powerful, very creative, very Palmeiras, isn't he? And he's someone that is obviously hasn't moved just yet, but he's playing first in football for Palmeiras. Um, and I don't think there's much question that in time um, he's going to go on and join a, uh, a European side for a lot of money. But he's an example in case of where sometimes you can just be so good, you just force the hand of your club and they have to play you. And from they know they're going to make millions from you and they're going to produce for you. And he's someone that is a very special player. And when we speak to Palmeiras staff, they speak about him very highly, don't they? Yeah, I think I think he's a special case, and I think it's a difficult one because I'd actually like to see him stay and develop at Palmeiras. I see the attraction. I can see why clubs would want to get their hands on him early. I mean, I think he was player of the tournament at the Under-17 World Cup. He grabbed quite a few goals as well. Um, he's a really exciting, electric type of player. Um, direct, pacey, skillful, beat you both sides, scores goals, very, very confident. I think he's, unfortunately for Palmeiras, it looks like he's tailor-made for the European market. Um so I can't see him staying, but I would like to see him stay longer because we've seen, I mean, there's a long list of Brazilian players who jump too soon or jump very, very young and it's quite difficult. I mean, there's a couple now, obviously, at Real Madrid doing quite well, um, but I would like to see him stay and, and make a name for himself at Palmeiras a little bit longer um, before he makes that jump. He's not going to, you know, it's not going to do his development any harm, in my opinion. Um and I personally think for him, it would be a jump slightly too soon. He hasn't got enough games under his belt at Palmeiras, which is a very, very high level of football. Um, incredibly high level of football, let's say. Uh, yeah. So I'd like to see that. And then the flip side, obviously, he's a player that I personally, I would say he should stay because Palmeiras, for me, is one of the best academies in the world as well, um, with a huge track record of producing footballers. I think 100%. The big European clubs will be uh, will be circling. He'll be on everybody's radar. He's he's phenomenal talent. But I just I really really hope that he stays, makes a bit of a name for himself in Brazil first before he inevitably moves. I don't yeah. see the rush in, in his case. I mean, there's another young player uh, from that same Brazil team, uh, Jan Kuto, who's actually made the jump already and uh, has left Coritiba and uh, is signed for Manchester City. Yeah. So he yeah. he arrived. I think he turned eighteen in June. So he'll be arriving. Well, presumably now he'll arrive after after lockdown eases and everything. So I would have thought he'd arrive in the new season. But amazing, like talent, uh, phenomenal right back slash right winger slash centre forward slash left wing. Plays pretty much everywhere. 
I mean, he's a right back, but he's like a he's got a, a Duracell battery in him because he doesn't stop running. Um, unbelievable talent, fantastic player. Um, you know, this is a lad who's who was 17 when he he's made the move to Manchester City. So, so you you could is this the right move? Is this too soon? Is he going to play? Is this going to be good for his development? It's very very tricky to say. I would hope. Listen, I agree with you. I don't need to talk about his qualities. You've just alluded to him there. Incredibly fast um, runner with the ball and without the ball. Supreme technical ability. Um, an outstanding footballer. One of those players, actually, that I, um, when I describe him, it's like when you press fast forward on the TV and they're going <laughs> absolutely 100 miles an hour, but they never look rushed. It's 100 yeah. miles an hour, but they never look rushed. They always look at ease at that tempo. Um, and he's certainly one of them. With regards to his move to Man City, again, I think I'm afraid to say, and I think it'll be the same with Gabriel Veron without knowing him personally, but the temptation for the move to Europe um, and joining those clubs and how those clubs will fight each other for those players is too tempting um, most of the time. Um, and obviously with Jan Kuto, um, he has agreed to join Man City. He is joining Man City. He won't play for Man City for a couple of years. Um, I just really, really hope I really, really hope that they take extra care in making sure he gets the exact right loan moves before he becomes a hopefully a regular in the Man City team. I really do hope they do that because he's such a phenomenal talent and it would be a real shame if it was a situation where the club hoovered him up, hoping or just saying that well, this could be a fantastic young player that goes and plays for us. But it doesn't matter if he doesn't because we'll go and buy another right back for £60 million. Um, and I hope they're not just doing that to stop other clubs signing him. I really do hope they've bought him because they see a future for this boy and they're going to make sure they get the career pathway absolutely correct for him. Of course, you can't guarantee it, but I really do hope they take the necessary time to put a pathway in place for him where Jan Kuto plays um, a high level of football consistently, first in football in Europe in a good division, at a good side where he's allowed to nurture and develop and then who knows if he comes back to Man City and plays in the first team, fantastic. Or at least gets perhaps enough of um, experience to go and get a move elsewhere. Um, so again, well, Jan Kuto's got all of the attributes that a, um, a modern fullback needs. I mean, he's, he's, he's the epitome of a modern fullback. Um, and he's I think he's got all the attributes to play at the very, very highest level. So Manchester City first team. But like you said, is he going to play immediately? The answer to that is no. Um, is the pathway there? That's a big, big question mark, especially over that club, because they they haven't got that track record of of putting players into the first team. They, that's not what they do. Um, and so far, that what what they've done is purchase players at big, big prices to fill gaps in their team. So, with the exception of Phil Foden. Um, so, yeah, I fear for that move. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a great move. I think he could have gone elsewhere and guaranteed himself an actual pathway into the first team. Um, I don't think there's a viable personally. I don't think there's a viable pathway there. I might be wrong. I, they might put him in straight away. I find that highly unlikely. Um, but that's one that remains to be seen. In those two examples, Gabriel Veron and Yang Kuto, I would have personally preferred them to stay in Brazil a little bit longer to hone their skills a little bit more. Um, yeah. But let's see. Maybe the clubs have got a plan for him to to put him out on loan somewhere. But they're certainly two massive talents. So, you know, Jan Kuto, we're going to see in Europe, obviously, next season, whether it's uh, on loan somewhere or whether it's with City's 23s. He can't play that level. He's, he's far too good for that. Um, yeah. Or And then Gabriel Veron, I mean, we're going to see him in Europe very, very soon, I would have thought. Uh, but let's let's hope it's the right move, not too soon. Yeah, I think to wrap up this chat, I think that the general consensus is, of course, like we've said, every situation is different. Every situation must be taken with the utmost care. And if there's any young footballers that are listening to this or even clubs themselves or whatever, um, make sure that, you know, you get the right people involved that give you good advice and you really have a long term view of what you're looking to achieve. Um, and that's a big that's a big thing for me, getting the right people involved in your career and life. Um people that you can trust and know what they're talking about and have got your best interests at heart. That's the main thing, to have your best interests at heart. Um, but I guess the general consensus, Richard, like we said, that there is no right or wrong way to do it. But generally speaking, um, you need to be playing first-team football um, before it's too late. I think we're both in agreement with that, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. And then, and then that, that's why I see, that's why I think, what's one of the reasons I think um, there's been such a, an exodus of players towards the Bundesliga in particular, 
because that's the league that allows that to happen. Um, whereas in England, we still have this issue with the under-23s. Obviously, we're just looking at the Premier League here. This is slightly different when we go down the leagues. A fascinating topic, nonetheless, and something that obviously myself and Richard uh, do all day, every day. After the break, we're going to be discussing this week's Premier League results. Don't go anywhere. So, Richard, obviously we've been talking about uh, players that are looking to get into first-team football. Now we're going to talk about the first-team football itself. Um, since we last done our recording, obviously there's been quite a lot of games, obviously all packed into a short amount of time. Um, some big, big results, some expected results. Um, yep, as we've said, football is well and truly back. Uh, I think the game that we, um, when we recorded on the Monday or the Sunday or whatever, we... Um, we missed out on the Man City Burnley results, obviously 5-0. Um, if we quickly chat about that, obviously, um, Phil, the Phil Foden show, wasn't it? Um, very apt to talk about that game, uh, speaking of Phil Foden earlier. Yeah, it was, mate. And I, I remember we were discussing with someone as well. I think he's going to... I think he's going to um, be a real source of goals. I really, really hope that they they do crack on with him as the um, the full-time replacement for David Silva. And I think he's he's easily good enough. Um, he's he's really started like a house on fire since lockdown. He's really he's put in a couple of great performances. I think that's three goals he's got now um, in the games that they've played since lockdown because he got two in this game. Um, and he's just a live wire. He's alive. He's alert. He was he was excellent in this game. Another brilliant performance for Mares as well. Um, uh, have to say that that, that that first goal was one of my favourite goals of the season because it's everything we try to to coach our wide players, isn't it? It's the ball's coming over. Perfect. It's so it's so Mares. It's like such a it was such a Mares goal. Um, really brilliant execution as well. Great finish. And at, at no point did you think that he wasn't going to score. Yeah, it was just phenomenal. I mean, you can't underestimate how difficult that is. A ball is coming sixty yards in the air over your shoulder. You're taking it on your weaker foot with your first touch, able to keep it in your stride. As we say all the time, move the body, move the ball. Perfect way to touch. Also, the angle is. One thing about Morris is that he always approaches defenders with a superb angle, like that 45 degrees angle that we try to tell players to do because it allows him to go both ways, doesn't it? It allows him to go continue inside or go on the outside. And, and that's where the goal came from. He approached at a 45 degree angle. He then slowed himself down again, um, stood the man up 1v1. We then had that extra explosion of space, of pace, sorry, went on the outside and weaker foot. This is why he's able to go past players. He seems deceptive in the way that he does it. You know he's going to cut. You absolutely know he's going to cut the ball back uh, and switch feet. But players fall for every single time because he's unpredictable, because he can drift inside and cut outside. Um, so it's a bit like when Ian Robin was in his prime. Um, you know what's coming. You absolutely know what's coming, but stopping it is another thing. And uh, at this moment in time, I I I'd have Mares up there as the best wide player in the league, personally. Uh, oh, yes, I'll Name say yes. Better. Um, I'm going to uh, on I, form. On form, yep. I, I've 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 said Mane is the best player in the league for the last two years. Um, I'm very hesitant to pick someone else. But you know what? Mane's slightly different. I'm talking about a wide attacking forward. I think Mane picks up different positions. Um, if we're talking about more of a winger than a forward, then I think Mares all day. Yep, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll give you that, definitely. Um, talking about a few other games, um, big games, big results. If we look at today's results, actually, one thing I want to look at, um, again, I don't want to say it, but Norwich at home to Everton, lost 1-0. I mean, they're as good as gone, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> that's the short answer there, mate. I mean, um, we could talk about Liverpool Crystal Palace, but again, it's just you know, the inevitable is coming. He's probably going to come in the next game where they're going to win the league. Uh, a phenomenal side, they've done again. You can't underestimate how impressive that is. I mean, Crystal Palace are a very good side, a very, very good side, and they've yeah. they've played 4 0 with four different goal scorers. Um, just an outstanding team. Um, they're going to win the Premier League, fully deserved. And I guess the litmus test will be in terms of Premier League greats: is can they do? Can they repeat it next season? Can they? Uh, can they win two in a row? You know, that's what the that's what most of the greatest Premier League sides ever have done. It's that repeating the the achievement next season. So I guess that will be a big test, won't it? Or that will be the big test for them. 
yeah, that'll be huge. But this game was a procession. They they battered them. Um, Palace are a very good side. Uh, yeah. Really well coached, really well drilled. They, 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 I mean, they're sitting in ninth at the moment, which is fantastic. Um, so and they, they're not they don't get battered often, which is another thing we have to say. So yeah, another good win for Liverpool. Uh, moving on to the Wolves result, mate. Uh, Jimenez grabbed himself another goal. Um, he's he's doing himself plenty of favors. Um, I, I love this player. That's 15, uh, 15 league goals this season now for Jimenez. I think he's he's a fantastic striker. Um, there's, there's, I know there's paper talk at the moment of, of big clubs coming in. Juventus is being talked about, various other clubs as well. Um, I hope he stays in the Premier League because I hope he stays at Wolves. I think he can make himself a legend down there. And this is, you know, they're genuinely fighting for a Champions League spot. So yeah. why not stay at Wolves? I mean, he's fantastic for me. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yep. Yeah, and it's not looking good for Bournemouth. They just cannot get out of this rut. Um, yeah. I'll actually say that for me, if I'm looking at the if we talk about the relegation places, um, Newcastle and Aston Villa, that, that finished one all. If I'm looking at who I think will go down, um, again, I suppose let's allude to another team that's fighting for their lives. Um, Tottenham, West Ham, Spurs won 2-0 yesterday. Um, if I had to look at the relegation, if I, if I look at the table at the moment, um, we have Norwich City, 20th. Um, I think, again, I think they're, they're goners. Um, they're on uh, 20, uh, 21 points. Six points behind 19th place Aston Villa. And then Bournemouth in 18th um, with West Ham just above them on goal difference. I well, think... that win, that win for Brighton against Arsenal and the point they picked up um, at Le- was it Leicester? Um, that's that's four huge points they've grabbed there. Um, Could have been six 0 Mope missed a penalty, yeah. but still a great point. Less. Um, I-, I think that's going to be the front uh, front three. I think that's going to be the the bottom three to go down: Norwich, Aston Villa, Bournemouth. Yeah, I can't disagree too much with that, mate. I think there's a slim chance of Villa getting out. I don't see Watford going down. I think Pearson Pearson will keep Watford up. I know it's very very tight. Uh, they've got a game in hand, um, but I I think they'll be, they'll have enough. Yeah, for me it's between um, West Ham and Bournemouth, mate. I could see West West Ham are really struggling. I mean, like they're struggling to score goals. Um, I see Villa maybe maybe overhauling. Uh, they might get a couple of results together. I think it's going to go right to the wire. But yeah, for Norwich, uh, I think they're goners, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And then I would argue that it's difficult to say. I mean, if you look at the Champions League places, Leicester, third place, 55 points. Chelsea, fourth on 51. They've got a game in hand. Man United, fifth, 49. Wolves, sixth, 49. Spurs, seventh, 45. Sheffield United, um, eighth, 44. That's probably... Yeah, the Spurs are too far back. It's basically Chelsea, Manchester United, and Wolves fighting this out. I think. Um, obviously, look, there's eight games to go, but um, I I just don't think um, they can be able to make up the gap in eight games. Manchester United, for me, look very very good. Uh, Marshall got a hat trick today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they're putting if they can put a little run together, like they you know they haven't done bad so far. Then um, yeah, I, I see them as the favourites to overhaul Chelsea personally. I think that's top seven will stay as it is. But I do think each of those sides, from Leicester down to, well, let's say top eight, Sheffield United, it's unfair to um, not talk about them after the season they've had. They've had a bad uh, return to lockdown, but it's still unfair to not talk about them. Um, But I do think that that third place down to eighth, Sheffield United, Leicester down to Sheffield United. I do think that all of those teams, including the ones at the top, Leicester and Chelsea, they're at the top of that little mini league. I do think they'll drop enough points for each team to be able to catch it up. But I don't trust the other teams to make up the points or to get enough points to make up the gap is what I think. So I do think that I do think let's say the gap right now, Leicester and Tottenham is 10 points with seven games to go. I do fully believe Leicester City will definitely drop 10 points in those seven games. Do I trust Tottenham to be able to make up that gap? I would probably say no. Um, I'm not too sure. So I think that I think that it's going to stay as it is. I think Wolves will be unlucky to just miss out on the fifth place, which could get Champions League. But yeah, I see it being Leicester third, Chelsea fourth, Man United fifth, and Wolves sixth, Spurs seventh, and Sheffield United maybe eighth, uh, or if Arsenal can uh, get back above them. Um, that wraps it up for this week's show. I've really enjoyed this one, mate. 
Yeah, brilliant. I love I love that discussion. For me, talking about youth players and pathways and things like that, I, I I love anything like that, and I think it's a really interesting one. And especially, it's it's kind of a modern phenomenon. Players growing up now might think it's nothing for to be going abroad and playing in Portugal and Italy and Spain and France and Germany and things like this. But this really hasn't been going on that long. Um, yeah. So I think it's yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think it's the way the football has developed. It tells you about the development of different leagues. And how they've how they've developed, and it also tells you about the success of of um, uh, the British academies that they're now desired that some of the best youngsters in the world um, are, are coming from academies in, in our countries. So um, to see them going on and, and want to be wanted by some of the best clubs across the continent is is fantastic, and I think it only bodes well for the future of British uh, British football. Indeed, indeed. All that's left for me to say is thanks to Richard. Cheers, mate. Thanks for that. Thanks to you guys, the listeners. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay safe. See you soon.